Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. And welcome back to Fright School Pride Edition. How you doing, Joe? I'm feeling proud. Are I you? don't know. Maybe. What have you done lately to make you feel proud? I think it's all internal. Good right? for you. I think it's pride is a journey. Yeah. It's an internalized journey. You step out of the ordinary. Yes. It's a bridge. You go from the mundane into the sublime. You yeah. cross that bridge. I don't know. I'm like... I feel like knowing you for as long as I've known you, there's things where I was just like, yeah, Josh was right about this thing. With all the stuff that's coming out about corporations pulling out and looking like they're withdrawing their support of our community. And it's Josh has been saying this for literal years that corporations are not going to come and save us when it comes to this. Yeah, the performative allyship of it all. I think it's important like, just to address. We talked a little bit about this in the last episode. It's just mm-hmm. a response. So there's part of it. And there's been so many boycotts over the years. There were boycotts over the re- bathroom stuff. that the, These corporations, they depend on exploitation of labor. And mm-hmm. they're going to be fine. They're going to survive. I'm not yeah. worried for Target. <laughs> I am worried for the places where queer people don't feel safe. And so being able to go into a... a global conglomerate space and kind of see pride merchandise available that's a good thing i guess to some degree if we're talking about representation but generally speaking yeah none of these giant corporations are gonna save us so you're talking about the representation of it all but even targets in communities where it's difficult or dangerous for queer people to be open they're not going to be out here buying something on target like in the store you know what i mean like that's a good point yeah they can go online or yeah they can go online or they're not going to be like or the radical act of purchasing a live laugh lesbian t-shirt as it were right but then i also worry about like the i worry about the employees who are queer now they don't feel supported how that's going to affect them and then the difficult decision of do they stay or do they go i'm a firm believer in corporations are not going to save us corporations are not going to liberate us this idea of actively boycotting Amazon or whatever. If I'm already not participating in it, then I'm just going to continue to not participate in it. Like, I'm not a participant of Chick-fil-A. I didn't start it and then stop because of everything that happened. I just never went. And so now I just will never go because there's, like, better chicken sandwiches out here. Exactly. That's the real message. But again, let's be clear here because I'm not going to beat around the bush like the media will do. They're Mm -hmm. saying, oh, Target or whatever, these places getting boycotted or losing money because of queer people or because of pride merchandise. Not true. It is Mm -hmm. insane Christian people showing up or whatever under whatever banner of God Mm -hmm. that they're Mm -hmm. waving around threatening people, harassing people, being violent. I don't believe in Jesus, but I don't show up at fucking Target and destroy Christmas decorations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is It is, again, these desperate, gasping death blows from these idiots who are not acting like Jesus. Like, I can't even take their Christianity seriously. Like, Christian people who think this is right, you're not a Christian person. Jesus would not be like, yeah, go and harass people. That's your book. I've read it. This is not what Jesus would want. Jesus said, or God said in the book, your book, to the least of these, my brethren, Mm -hmm. my brothers and sisters, my family, my people, 
you did it to me. What you did to them, to the yeah. least, is what you do to me. Whatsoever you do to the least of my brother, that you did unto me. Yeah. Not to say that queer people are the least, but I just mean that if you're imagining them as they're oppressed, you want to oppress mm-hmm. people, That's Jesus would have been on our side, not the other way around. Sorry, yeah. I'm a better Christian than most Christians, and I don't even believe in Christ, but I think I got a way better chance of going to heaven. It, Should such a thing exist, which I don't think it does. I'm you just really saying. inspired yeah. me a few years ago because you said something like, Sometimes the most radical thing is just the basic understanding that everyone deserves, like, everyone has the equal right and is deserving of food, clothing, shelter. Yeah, exactly. And And that's what Christians should be focusing. That's what Jesus wanted to do. That's what God claims to want to do in the Bible. But again, I don't want us basing anything on the Bible. But I think at the end of the day, because I've also researched so many other religions and I just went through that kind of whole time period. It all is the same thing, like the golden rule. Do unto others as you would want to do and mm-hmm. be done to you. What is Trix, the Trixie Mattel meme? It's how do you feel about all these people who are like Christianity? And yeah. she's like, God isn't real and I am. Exactly. Just walk in grace, walk in kindness. It's so hard to take seriously these people that are like, I'm going to kill you to show that God loves you. Get out of here. Go away. It's just so dumb. I'm going to use my AR-15 to shoot up all of the cans of Bud White. Yeah, it's just dumb and also the easy way out it's the easy choice to be hateful i just see it as like pathetic and sad and i'm just like you're not gonna make gay people or trans people go away like we've always been here and we will always be here yeah harder thing to choose and to want to accept so for those who don't for those who don't know i did get a new job i now work for a nonprofit, an lgbt nonprofit. someone at work was talking about how we don't use the word tolerance in the right. messaging and the training that we do because when you tolerate something, you're tolerating something that's painful and right. our existence, our lives, who we are is not painful. It's beautiful. It's fascinating when you think about it that way because then what are we asking for? We're asking for acceptance, radical acceptance of who we are. It can be a neutral acceptance, right? I'm neutral about you because I know that you exist and I accept that you exist, but I also will not like actively trying to harm you. If you're not actively helping someone, the least you can do is also not actively harm them. That's how we should be able to exist in peace. And as long as people aren't trying to use their religion to control me, I won't try to use my lack of religion to control them. Do what you Mm -hmm. want in your personal life. Be kind. Be good to people. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, the other reason this is a losing battle is because it's estimated that the queer dollar is worth about 1.5 trillion right now in America Mm -hmm. is our spending power. And it's only going to grow, especially as so many gen whatever they're called gen z's gen alphas Mm. whatever they are really divesting from gender and like sexuality in interesting ways they're only going to make the world more queer i think really rejecting a lot of this bullshit even more so than we did in whatever generation is after us so we're just going to get more powerful economically too so at the end of the day these people can threaten all they want we're becoming a very empowered group It's just it doesn't make any economical sense to ignore us either because we have a lot of buying power. But that's also bullshit. It's not a good enough reason to treat us with respect. But it's just you don't you're lose. These people are losing a lot of footing and a lot of power because they're just not they're not going to have control of the world that they think they they deserve. Yeah. Nor should they. And I don't want control of the world either. I just want it to be equitable and fair. But these companies care about the bottom line. So the places that pulled stuff, it's not all targets, obviously. The ones who pulled stuff is because they're these crazy people are coming in and threatening to kill people and harm people. So I understand why they make those choices. Sure. 
And but it's it's wrong, obviously. It's just it's such a mess. But anyways, I was hoping that we would be more positive, have a positive bright conversation today. Well, we we can end on something positive. <laughs> yes, we will. So we realized that we've talked a lot about pride as like a concept, but we never really talked about our own experiences at pride. Do you remember your first Pride that you went to as like an open out person? Yeah. So I remember the first Pride I ever went to in general. I went with a friend of mine. You know him as well. We'll talk offline about who it was. (laughs) But I went with a friend of mine who I was deeply like enamored with. Oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Who was straight. And we went. He knew that I'd never been to a Pride. So like we went. And it was eye-opening for me in many ways because I was just like, wow, this is a whole thing. And I didn't quite know how to feel about it for many years. I did that thing in the self-discovery journey that some queers do where it's, I can be gay and not go to Pride or not see it as a thing that I need to participate in. And But the first Pride when I was out was 2015 in San Diego. I've only ever been to San Diego Prides. And... That's a very infamous year, 2015, because that was the year that the Obergefell decision came down. Gay marriage was the law of the land. But it was also the first time that it ever rained on Pride in many years. And it was a stormy rain. It was the most precipitation in July in San Diego in the last 143 years. But I was like, I have to go. You have to go and experience Pride when it's your first one, when you are openly gay. And so I... Went with a friend. We met up with some other friends of friends. Like, pulled into a house. We were singing Whitney Houston. (laughs) I drank many different mimosas. We saw the tail end of the parade. And then it rained so much that I went back to my friend Holly's house, which was near the end of the parade route. We ordered Chinese food and watched RuPaul's Dry Grace. And it was beautiful. And... Ever since then, I go to the parade because it's one of the more special things for me just to be in community with people. Yeah. Uh, So that was my memorable one. What was yours? Your first one as a uh, aware of your queerness openly. Let me think. I first went to Pride when I was in Cincinnati. And man, it's so funny. It's like I should have more memories of it. (laughs) But we partied really hard. Mm -hmm. I would have been 18, but a few months from turning 19. That was like 2004, I believe. Mm -hmm. I was in full drag. And I was on the float for the lesbian bar that I love to go, mm-hmm. Bullfishes. Yeah. I remember having a good time dancing. Mm-hmm. It was like a mm-hmm. whole bunch of us. I was like on top of the truck area or whatever. And we're dancing with our arms up doing whatever. The parade had to go around like a corner. Mm-hmm. So it went around the street. And they stopped suddenly and I rammed into the bar and like almost flipped over. (laughs) Like I had to grab myself right in front of where there was like a ton of cameras and stuff set from like local news and things like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to see myself later on the news, like (laughs) flipping over. Flipping over and death dropping onto a bunch of cameras. Maybe it was there somewhere, like a live feed. But because I was in these fishnets and like some kind of weird outfit with my belly and I hit the bar. And so I had my stomach area was a little bruised uh, like the rest of the day people smuggled in liquor and such so we just drank and it was all fine and i danced and then i mean i think i danced till three four in the morning and then we went home it was almost 24 full hours being at the bar like having a good time yeah that was one of the more memorable ones and then doing them here obviously walking with the san diego alliance for marriage equality or activist san diego in the parade that was always a good time didn't you also do the alternate one the queer March. Wasn't there another... They did Guerrilla Pride. Yeah, I would do that. That wasn't necessarily a march, 
but it was an event this just to embrace mm-hmm. radical queer spaces because i do feel pride's a little corporate at times especially over the last decade as like i was saying earlier a lot of things have changed for queer people so pride has followed suit a lot of other mainstreaming of queer stuff so yeah now I just don't go anymore because it's just, it takes 5 million hours and I don't like to be out in the sun all day. Mm-hmm. Like I'm over it. I'll go down to the festival, especially when somebody I like is playing. But sure. I do, I feel very out of touch with the pride thing. Because it's just, a, it's become one of those things for me. And again, it's because I live in a bubble. I do realize that if I lived in Ohio still, I probably would feel more necessary to like go sure. out and organize and like be part of it and like pride is as much for straight people to come out and get drunk and party with their yeah. gay friends as it is for gay people to feel a sense of like yeah. community at least for those of us, us elders who have done it long enough <laughs> there was like a t- five-year period where i didn't participate in pride after that very first time i didn't really have a strong group of queer friends You and I knew each other, but we weren't as close as we are now. I didn't participate because the people that I knew that were doing Pride were like mostly straight folks who were seeing it as a day to like day drink. Right. And just get trashed. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. It it needs to be more than this. And so like, I'm really loving the life that I have now because I hold the day and I keep the holiday. What is it? The what is it? The to paraphrase Dickens from Christmas Carol, I hold it close in my heart and keep it well, but I do it in the way that makes sense for me. And I have other friends who also do it and hold it and keep it in in a way that makes sense for them. And so I spend a lot of that time just in community, in my own community with my own circles. I love that. I really do. I, I again pride. I'm glad it exists and for people who need it and are still really plugged into that sort of world. But for me, it's I like to go down to the bar any old time and see people and know that we have safe spaces that I generally do feel safe in. So pride has just come to represent something else. We obviously still are very much in a space of self-defense. It's very exhausting to constantly be battling these same battles that we've battled for centuries. Mm -hmm. And now to come to a place where we feel so mainstream, but at the same time, there's still very legitimate attacks on us. And yeah very organized attack so it's both it exists in a weird space if they want to do pride at night i can go (laughs) which las vegas pride is at night see then we should go to las vegas and be proud i'm kidding you can't be proud in las vegas that's impossible yeah you can do the other (laughs) you can do lust and gluttony in vegas but not pride all right with that speaking of lust and all the other sins We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to uh, talk about Vampiros Lesbos. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. All right, welcome back. Well, we are continuing our June Pride series, looking at some gay vampers. God hates fangs. That's what this series is called. (laughs) Yes, God hates fangs. We're talking this week about 1971's Vampiros Lesbos. It was shot in Turkey in 1970. 
then released in 71 in Germany, 73 in Spain, and I'm guessing maybe 74 in the States, possibly, since that's the date they put on the American releases. But regardless, it's a 1971 film, apparently, Mm -hmm. was its first showing. So that's what we're going with. And remember, we don't just do the American release. When (laughs) was it birthed? Where was it birthed? And it's, man, it is a European film. We got West Germany, Spain on production. And filmed, like I said, in Turkey. This is directed and co-written by Jesu Franco. Who was the other writer? Jaime Shavari, possibly. We got Soledad Miranda starring Ewa Stromberg, Andrea Manchal, Dennis Price, Paul Mueller. I'm just honoring their presence in this film. It feels like a loose kind of adaptation of Dracula. It uses Mm -hmm. some of the features of Dracula, some of the plot points of Dracula, but it tells a very different story about this woman, Linda, who's been plagued by dreams of this woman. Nadine. Yes, Nadine, Mm -hmm. who is a vampire, possibly turned by Count Dracula some 200 years before the events of the film or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's a bit of a fever dream, friends, a bit Jello-esque. It left me with some questions, though it was far more coherent, to me at least, than I was led to believe. I thought it was going to be way messier, but I actually thought it was a little bit more together than some of the critics that I read. It could also be that my mind is just making connections <laughs> that aren't actually in the film. I don't necessarily need films to make sense if they're, if there's a conversation happening. And this one definitely has a conversation happening. But as we like to do here, we find out what Joe thought. (laughs) Do you want to know what I think? You know what? It was for people, longtime listeners of Fright School will know that I do not like movies that Joshua will often describe as fever dream. Yeah. Some of the movies that we watched that where Joshua's described it as a fever dream, it's like questioning the ideas of what is real what is not if this is a dream then why are people acting as if what was happened in the dream happened in real life i hate that stuff so (laughs) i appreciated this because it was definitely more plot driven it was just like really long stretches of you can tell that these people really just wanted to do whatever they wanted to do which was show a lot of naked women yes there was a lot of female nudity a lot of tit a whole lot of titting going on. Not one penis. No, not one penis. There's a lot of boob, <laughs> a lot of ass, a lot of vagine. Yeah. Not exactly. Like lots of bushes. Big, yes, a lot of bush. Yes, it was. It was the 70s, it was, but no clear vaginal shots. Yes. <laughs> it's not totally pornographic. It's very, it felt very Skinamax mm-hmm. kind of thing where it's not fully pornography. It's just no. It was like. It was soft core, but in a weird way, because it's like soft core, but then like also she's like sucking blood. Yeah. Hardcore vampirism, soft core porn. porn. There we go. The reason I thought it'd be interesting to watch this movie is because obviously last week we talked about Dracula's daughter, which it was produced during like the Hayes Code. You have this necessity to have conversations about lesbianism, homosexuality in very coded ways. It's something left up for our interpretation to some degree because somewhere these people are like no this is just about a a woman vampire has nothing to do with lesbians but here we are roughly 35 years later or whatever you know almost 40 years later where it's very this is it's very explicit nadine clearly loves the female form she's here for it 
she's like a burlesque performer doing like strip teases on stage with a mm-hmm. naked woman pretending to be a mannequin caressing her she's going after women and they have sex together it's very explicit that this is like a lesbian film so you have the ability to be explicit but i think unfortunately a lot of the same lesson that are in dracula's daughter are also here i enjoyed that they i guess an explanation for nadine's proclivities as it were like talking about the war and a century ago and the soldiers invading and how like she has this overall distrust of men. Yeah. But I also, that's one of the notes I made. That's like really problematic. The whole thing is Dracula saved me while I was being raped by a soldier. Mm -hmm. And because of that, because I was raped, I'm now a lesbian. It's like that connection is what I felt this, where did I write it? A catalyst, like rape as a catalyst for lesbianism, which still persists in culture today. Oh, you haven't met the right man, or what did a man do, Mm -hmm. or you must have been sexually abused. These are still myths that permeate, because it's like for these men who likely are watching this film, or for the people writing it it's like why would such a beautiful woman like be a lesbian it's oh she must have been brutalized by men and now has turned her back on them so again we're removed and we have explicit lesbianism on display and explicit queerness but it's still permeated by the same kinds of beliefs or that all lesbians hate men Yeah, exactly. You had made a comment about feminism that I thought was interesting because like, there's a moment where towards the end when Linda comes back to talk with Nadine, who's like now dying because she hasn't had blood to feast on. And she like tells her like, I basically I belong to no one. Mm -hmm. A very like feminist kind of statement. Yeah. Especially coming out of this would have been around like second wave feminism because third wave, you think more of the 90s. Sure. Because second wave feminism is very much about like equality and trying to fight the idea that women are sex objects. And then moving into third wave, it's sort of women taking control of the sexual agency. Mm -hmm. That's a very general marker of difference between. I I thought your point about when you asked about feminists, like where does this fit in, in within the waves? I think this is very much second wave and taking ownership of like herself. Sure. But then, of course, who saves her, like uh, the straight man who is her boyfriend, Omar, who is horrified by the lesbianism on display early in the film while Linda's enraptured by it. For all of like the pride of like sexual freedom in the 60s, again, this is something Angela Davis talks about in her book. I don't know what sexual freedoms you're talking about because women were still very much held. There wasn't a sexual liberation for women. It was more about men getting to do whatever they wanted to do and telling women that they were sexually liberated by having sex with them. Nadine is also doing that as well, right? For her personally to extricate herself from desiring men in the world of men, she has almost internalized ideas of like ownership over another body by essentially like using up Agra who's the Renfield, and then doing the same thing, like desiring her so much that now she wants her to be with her and to like basically own her. Yeah. And and exploit her by sucking her. Yeah. And that moves to the next point about this may have come out in the in the 70s and in the midst of this kind of idea of a sexual revolution, but you still have the predatory lesbian. Linda's not a free agent for the man that she's with, nor for the woman who is intoxicating her, literally and figuratively. She's Mm -hmm. haunting her in her dreams. 
she plies her with wine, gets her drunk till she passes out, then takes her into her room and has sex with her. Mm-hmm. Without consent. Pretty much. But of course, then Linda becomes enraptured by her, but is that mm-hmm. the vampirism working on her? Is Linda's queerness a function of her just bringing out something that was already innate or right. is it a function of the vampirism right does she have agency over her sexuality mm-hmm. and throughout the film no because it's like she's either yeah under some sort of mystical experience with nadine the vampire or she's in a mental hospital and being taken care of by dr mm-hmm. Sievert, mm-hmm. who wants to be a vampire and is trying to use her to get to nadine who he hopes will Mm-hmm. change him into a vampire which she says no fuck no this is for ladies only basically <laughs> at least her brand mm-hmm. of vampirism is only inviting beautiful women in so yeah so i i just think that it's it just it's an interesting relic because it at once it is this very free sexual kind of film like we said earlier lots of naked bodies of women framed very beautifully there's definitely an appreciation i think for the female form on display Mm-hmm. but still uh, exploiting. I mean, it's, it does feel exploitative to some degree, even though they're trying to like empower this lesbian vampire, this free sexuality. It's beyond men. She's sure. her own thing, but they make her predatory. There's long sequences where it's like, we don't need all this. What is happening? Like, they do her like burlesque act twice. It's in its fullness both times. And I was like, yeah. why? It's unnecessary. Gratuitous. Yeah, that it felt gratuitous. I feel like they're trying to get away with it because they make the man like disgusted by it early mm-hmm. on. So it's more it's about mm-hmm. women exploiting women or the female gaze on the female body, the lesbian gaze, if sure. you will. But it's still very much filtered through a heterosexual male kind of lens. Sure. Like lesbian porn where they all have long fingernails. Like, seriously, that's not comfortable for anybody. Unless you like that. I don't mean to shame any. I don't mean to kink shame any lesbians no. who love long fingernails in their vaginas. It's very idealized through through this sort of being fetishes of, of heteronormative culture. There was something else that you said I wanted to comment on. It was something else we were talking about earlier. Because this is like West, it's like a German-Spanish production, it's also interesting how we again have these blonde women mm-hmm. being preyed on by this dark-haired, vaguely Eastern European. Nadine mentions yeah. like this sort of this past, you know, in, in Eastern Europe. Praying and like they have to save their women. Actually, Jesus Franco, the director, plays what's his name, Mamet. He's the guy who keeps trying to like murder all the women. Agra, his wife, went to the island, apparently slept with Nadine and was driven mad. So you're right, she's very Renfield like in the hospital, just raving and having these very erotic symptomologies uh, apparently there's been other women so Mehmet is like taking on himself that he's like murdering the women to save them or help them mm-hmm. so that's a whole like insane little I, I'm still like I feel like I'm going to be processing this movie for a little bit just there's so much evil on this island that I have to murder all the women on it to save them it's, what is happening <laughs> I want to be careful because it, it also feels very like from our earlier conversation I'm going to shoot all of you to save you or yeah. to mm. or to tell you how much God loves you. <laughs> it's that kind of like insanity on display some 40, 50 years yeah. ago <laughs> that's still with us. Yeah. Is it a distortion, Joshua? Am I using that term correctly? I would definitely say he's distorted. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it was such a bizarre little interlude. Of, yeah, let's just add this guy, the director, <laughs> who just wants to like... Jesus Franco. Yeah, I just think in his... Like, 
he's an interesting guy. I'm going to have to dive in and do some research about him. Yeah. He's, I just want to be in this movie waving hacksaws at pretty women. And then like feverishly attending to that woman's legs, her like inner thigh area. Yeah, it, yeah, um, it was very disturbing. Hayes Franco, Jesus, Frank. That's what I hear when I, that, that was basically that guy. I love that. Jesus, Frank. Jesus, Frank. <laughs> oh, I love again. We're here. It opens with a therapist, psychoanalysis. Uh, another terrible version of a therapist because he does not care about the problem of the woman in front of him. Now he thinks that she needs to just find a better lover. I love that that's his answer. That whole sequence, which again, echoes back to Dracula's daughter, which yeah. prominently features a psychiatrist trying to help her get over her proclivities. And that's at the beginning of the film where she goes to meet him. What was his name again? Is, that's, is that Dr. Seward? No, that's Dr. Steiner. Oh, Steiner, that's right. I tell you, so many of the people in this movie look alike because the doctors are s's and then the other the helpers are m's yes that's true (laughs) mamet morpho who is the igor type character here the the servant of (laughs) yes the mute servant of nadine melnick mel yeah so steiner is like the therapist psychotherapist and he's like doing psychoanalysis it looked Mm -hmm. very like she's on the couch he's like asking her questions while he's doodling the whole time yeah again not taking her seriously and just telling her to get laid by yeah. someone better than Omar. Yeah, and not even titillated by her recounting the dream. He's no, just like totally, completely uninterested. Yeah, just dismissive, bored even of her. Man, I don't know what this... I wrote something down about fantasy that was mm-hmm. tied to that, and I'm not sure what I meant. I hate when I do that when I think I'll know what the note meant. I'm like, surely I'll understand what that means. What does it say? It just says men and women fantasies. <laughs> so it doesn't mean... That should be the name of this episode. Right, it doesn't mean... Men and any- women fantasies. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean anything. I think it was tied somewhat to, yeah, just the idea of Omar should be the one fantasizing and like into the lesbianism of it all. And she should be the one not interested, but it's flipped. I yeah. think I was thinking about something along the lines of that. Yeah. But it's also, again, another queer movie where most of what's happening is like just a serving of face. Yeah. This a is healthy, true. very healthy serving of face. Some beautiful caftans, a lovely scarf, a shag carpet ceiling installation. I don't even know what Art to call that. Art installation that looks like blood dripping. Yeah, but it was so beautiful. The yeah. whole film was beautiful. I think yeah. of nothing else, if you watch this, dear listener, which I we found it, it was on like the Amazon or something. It's very beautiful to look at. Even with the all, music, the, the soundtrack, music, is the great. soundtrack was really fun, funky, jazzy, weird, super weird. Loved it. Definitely, I agree. I want to host a party where I just play that soundtrack mm-hmm. and just stare at my friends. Yeah, maybe dance weirdly. They're just gonna be like, "What is happening? I don't understand. Yeah. What is this music?" But it'll be awesome. Yeah, there'll be Gorefest fifteen vampiros lesbos. Yes, everybody come as a lesbian vampire. Yes, that'd be a good time. Is there? What is that? Lesbian Vampires of Sodom. Is that the name of that play? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Charles Bush. Yes. Let's do that. That's hot. Just have a reading of that and play this music in the background. Completely out of context. Yes. Yeah. But I, if nothing else, it just, this film just demonstrates how much hadn't changed in queer representation and queer spaces over mm-hmm. time, even coming from like a similar uh, production background. Yeah, just European sensibility, which we always think of as, I think there's a stereotype that there's more freedom or more. You can do more. You can do more. But it's, I don't know, this operates very much in the same way. It's just the only difference is that they're, they could just show the lesbian acts 
in a more explicit way. The lesbian acts like the Indigo Girls. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time they said when they were talking about, I said this to Joshua as we were watching it, they were talking about, oh, Nadine, the Countess Carity, she lives on the island. And I was like, Etheridge Island? Yeah, exactly. Is that what it's like on Etheridge Island? That's what this is. Vampires run amok on Etheridge Island. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to send this movie to Melissa now and say, hey, th- inspiration for your next destination. Yeah. Oh, that was too much rhyming. I'm overwhelmed. I love that he, like, what do you call it? Death and Madness Island or Madness mm-hmm. and Death Island, something like that. I That's when I'm going to name my private island when I get it. Madness and Death Island? Yeah. That way people will just stay the fuck off of it, I yeah. hope. You should just call it Lesbos Redux. No, because everybody will come thinking they'll get to see the lesbians. And I don't want that. I just want to be alone on my island. Yeah, Madness and Death Island. Madness and Death Island. That will be me raving mad, raving about death and lesbians. Yes. Closer I am to find... Uh-oh. They're going to sue us now? They are. The Indigo Girls are going to come for you. Not because you sang the song, because it wasn't great. Wow. <laughs> wow. wow. People are going to be... Not offended. Joshua being homophobic during Pride Month. <laughs> Against you, Joe. Phobia. Not the homophobia. All righty. Listen, there's not much else to say about this movie. It is a fever dream of boobies and lesbians and some splashes of blood and yeah. lots of confusing... What? Yeah. And then a little bit of, oh, okay, I know exactly what's happening. And then it ends. Yes. It's very, it's a familiar tale. All right. Again, happy Pride Month. We hope you're out there being proud and people are not fucking with you here in these streets. Come on, Jennifer Lewis. Come on, Jennifer Lewis. I'm working my way through her book and I love listening to The Mother of Black Hollywood. The Mother of Black Hollywood. I'm listening to the audiobook. Oh, yeah. It's the best. She is delightful to listen to. That's a real left turn in the conversation, (laughs) Jennifer Lewis. Just save that for Black History Month. Oh, there we go. But uh, yeah. All righty. Yes. Happy Pride. Happy Vampire Pride. Happy Vampire Pride. God loves fangs. God loves fangs. That's what we've discovered, especially lesbian fangs. Yeah. Alrighty. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. <laughs> listening to the Geekscape Network.